Well, there's a lot of topics that uh, people who love Jesus just kind of see differently, and I'm, I'm good with talking about any of them. And the clearer God's Word is, the uh, easier it is to talk on them. No matter what the world would have to say on a topic, if God's Word is cleared, it's like, okay, let's just get that clarity out and we're good. But today, I'm a little trepidation. I have a little trembling of the shoes because the topic that we're going to talk about, though it's not necessarily that divisive or anything like that, it's a topic that over the 40 years of me being a Christian, I still haven't clearly figured out. In fact, as we're on this subject of prayer this summer, there are a lot of the prayer books that I've been reading that have whole chapters devoted to this topic. And the topic is, how does this prayer thing really work? Not what is prayer. We've kind of defined prayer, at least in a working definition. We've said it's communication with an infinite and sovereign God for the purpose of becoming more intimate with Him and tapping in on the unlimited wisdom and power that He has so that we can serve and glorify Him better. That's not the problem. You might word it a little differently, but what it is isn't the problem. It's how it works that isn't as clear in the Word of God as I'd like it to be. Or maybe maybe you could say, from God's side of the coin, from God's side of heaven, how does this prayer thing where we offer our requests and stuff up to Him really work? We've said many times, we know it's not a Coke machine. We know it's not, you know, you put your prayer quarter in and you can get out whatever you want from the machine. That's, that's not how it works. But how does a, a bunch of people who love Jesus offering up their prayers to God really work in this life? We've seen how important it is and how God controls the outcomes of prayer, but I would have to say today, I want you to understand, I do not have the definitive answer yet of how this thing works. And I'm going to be really careful today to talk about, here's what God's Word says, and here's how Pastor Mark works through that in his mind and and understands it. But I thought we could start trying to figure out how does this prayer thing work by focusing in on What's God's role in this? I mean, we know what our role is. We go and we start talking to Him. What's His role in this prayer thing? And and the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about that in, in very specific, but there happens to be one chapter in the Bible, my favorite chapter, I think, in the whole Bible, that talks twice about God's specific role in prayer. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, if you didn't bring a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be on page 1119 in the Bible that would be ahead of you or over one. Romans chapter 8. In this chapter, the first 17 verses, Paul's kind of telling believers all the blessings that have come their way and how wonderful it is to be 
a believer in Christ. But in verse 18, he kind of turns a corner and he moves into the theme of how believers handle the struggles in life. And obviously we all have them. And he reminds us that God knows that we're really weak, especially when we come to these struggle times in our life. And then he reminds us in verse 26 that we're not alone in this. That as we struggle through life, God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit is literally there with us helping. And that might not be news to you, but the way that He says He helps might be new. Verse 26, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. God knows how weak we are, and He knows especially in those tough days when we're struggling that we're not even sure all the time what to pray for. And He says that the Holy Spirit is literally praying for us. He's praying empathetically, literally with groans that are we couldn't even understand. He's praying in a way that we might not be able to hear it, but God the Father certainly hears it. And He's praying in a way that is always in accordance with God's will. That He never prays a prayer that God wouldn't want to answer. When we're going through hard times, we ask each other for prayer, and that's a good thing. But it's even more comforting for me to know that I've got one of the persons of the Godhead literally praying for me perfect prayers that are on my behalf to the Father. But don't miss the middle of verse 26, which tells me that especially in difficult, stressful times, I often don't even know what to pray for. I am so... I don't even know what to say! I'm so weak, I'm so stressed out, I'm so angry, I'm whatever. God, I don't even know what to say. And the Holy Spirit says, that's okay, I do. And I will pray for you. But not only do we have one in this passage, we have two members of the Trinity who the Bible says are praying for us. Look at verse 33. Paul in this part of the chapter is kind of asking and answering some rhetorical questions with the purpose of reminding us how much God loves us and how secure we are in His love. So in verse 33, he asks that rhetorical question, who could bring a charge against those that God has chosen? And the answer, nobody, because God chose us. Who could condemn us? Well, nobody, because Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that was raised to life, He is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. And Paul's point is clear that The one who died on the cross so that when you trusted in Him, the gavel came down and said, not guilty. That one, when He died and went back to heaven, is not done 
working for your good. He died for your sins, and right now, He is interceding for you. And nobody could ever bring a charge against you that can stick, not even Satan, when you have trusted in Christ. All of your sins have been forgiven, and the one who died for your sins is literally in heaven praying for you. And if you have never understood that, if you have never come to the point in your life that it's not just I believe in Jesus, but I've trusted in Him, that His death on the cross meant something and that my sins are forgiven only because of what He did for me. Maybe today as we read this passage would be the day that you'd go, I get it. I'd love to talk to you afterwards if if you're struggling with it. But God says, I've sent the Savior for you and if you will put your trust in Him, if you would call out to Him, your sins will be thrown as far as the east is from the west and for the rest of your life, you will have that Savior praying on your behalf. And what a person to be praying for you. The one member of the Trinity who literally took on human likeness. Uh, Hebrews 4 says He's our high priest who understands because He's been through it. He's been tempted. He's been tried. He understands the human frailties, but at the same time, He never sinned. I imagine sometimes when I'm praying, and especially when I'm bumbling around and I, you know, I get mixed up and stuff, I just imagine Jesus or the Holy Spirit, you know, God, what He means is this. And, and I know that's what Mark prayed for, but what He really wants is that they're just interpreting for me and helping my feeble prayers get to the Father. Now I know that God talking to God doesn't totally make sense to us. But I wanted you to see that He is actually praying right alongside of us. But even with the Holy Spirit and Jesus praying for us, we all know that that doesn't mean that all of our prayers get answered. I wish there were a mathematical equation. Being the engineer type, I love it when it's you know 2x plus 3y equals z. And I can plug the factors in and see if z is great enough. But it just doesn't work that way. But the Bible does give examples of God sometimes accepting and, and hearing the prayers of His people and sometimes not accepting and, and not acting upon their behalf. David in the Old Testament in Psalm 35, he says there were times when his prayers went unanswered. They returned to him. Nah! You got Isaiah in chapter 1 saying that God chose not to listen to the prayers of disobedient people. Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3 that God chose to shut out His prayers at times. Now, the disobedient people not hearing them, that makes sense to me, you know. God's not going to listen to the, to the prayers of disobedient evil people. But, but David and, and Jeremiah, their prayers are shut out at times. But there's other times when we know that the Bible makes it clear that Prayers were heard and answered. Psalm 102, the pleas of the destitute will be heard and answered. The prayers of of Job for his unwise friends were accepted and answered, says Job 32. So how come? 
How come God listens sometimes and answers, and at other times He either doesn't listen and or He hears and He doesn't choose to answer? Why is that? Well, if I could answer that, I wouldn't be here. I would be in heaven. But let me give you one big picture thought of why that is true that maybe will help you understand. And then we're going to end with uh, a few different specific little things that might help as well. The big picture is this. We flippantly talk about something called God's will in our life. But when you talk about God's will, you need to differentiate two things, and it's called God's sovereign will versus His permissive will. God's sovereign will is this. Because I am the sovereign of the universe, this will happen, or this will not happen. End of story. Done. Got a whole bunch of disciples. Jesus tells them, I'm going to the cross. Oh no, 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 no. God, wait a minute. I'm not listening because I have chosen in eternity that my son needs to die on the cross for the sins of those that I love. Doesn't matter what people would have prayed. Sovereign choice by God. I know some of you would have had experiences like this where I have literally thought as I've driven down the road, it must not have been my day. Because the way I was driving and the conditions and blah, 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 I missed that truck by this much or I missed going into the ditch. And I just imagine God said, Mark, it's not your day today. And He just moved the car over about six inches. That's called God's sovereign will. This is what, because I'm God, I choose to do or not allow. End of story. But, most of our life is not God sitting there and going like this and stopping this and moving this. Most of our life is when we have permission, choices, a free will. God's involved. We talk to Him about what's going on, but there's a permissive will of God where He allows different things to happen depending on your and my choice. So you're struggling with a choice. Uh, where do I go to college? You know, how much should I spend on the house? Should I go on this mission trip? And God's sitting there going, a lot of those are okay with me. And we'll talk about it. And I can give you maybe my opinion of the wisest, but I'm okay with wherever you go. Or I'm okay with a lot of these different choices. He permits things to happen in your life. Or maybe on a bad day, you choose to disobey God and you go to work and and you gossip about somebody and and God obviously says in heaven, "I, I didn't want that to happen. But I've allowed it to happen. I've permitted it to happen even though it is sin because I've given my children a degree of free will in their life. So how God responds to your and my prayers may depend upon what kind of prayer you're offering. Are you offering a prayer in the arena of God's sovereign will where He basically says to you, I'm sorry, I've already decided that? Or are you offering up a prayer in God's permissive will where He says, you know what, let's talk about that because there's a lot of options that I will permit 
on that one. Problem is, we don't know the difference. On a daily basis, I can't tell you that was, that's God's sovereign will. That's God's permissive will. I know what sin is. I know what God wants me to do or wants this person to do, but I don't know how much rope He'll give me or that person on that day. I don't know what He'll allow and what He'll say, no, that's as far as you can go. And that's why I choose to pray in a manner that is very similar to one of the times when even the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane offered up a prayer that had to do with God's sovereign will. God, here's what I want, but only if that's Your will for my life. My Aunt Nancy, I got a call last night. She's 82. She lives out in California. She has no children. And my brother and I are the closest thing to kids she has. She's in bad straits, folks. But she broke her hip last night. And her husband at home is in worse shape than she's in. And she's taking care of him. And it just happens that there was a lady there from Arizona who could just stay and take care of Uncle Dick and cancel her plans. just happened. So I called her and I said, you need me to come and, and I'm not going yet, but we'll see what happens. But when I prayed for Aunt Nancy last night, I said, oh God, I would just love for this surgery for Aunt Nancy to go so well and everything work out perfectly and she would recover faster than anybody's ever recovered from hip surgery and all that. Or, or maybe they're just miraculously tomorrow morning, could she just wake up and have it not be broken? And I know you can do that. And so God, I offer these prayers to you in your will. Because I know you know best. Or maybe as a family, you've had times when you've looked at the bills and the amount of money in the bank and it's like, this ain't going to work. I don't know how we're going to get to the end of the month. I was just reading a guy on, on uh, wrote a book on prayer that was in that situation back in the 80s and God miraculously brought in some money that they didn't see coming. But he offered up this kind of prayer, God, you know what we need Here's how I, you know, miraculous, whatever, bring food, whatever, God. But if you want to allow this crisis to continue this month and not show up miraculously, would you then help us to honor you in the midst of whatever you allow? Those are the kind of prayers that I offer up. But that brings us to the tricky part of the sermon what God's Word has to say about our part in whether our prayers get answered. Because there are those, even in this town, who go to different churches, or maybe even some here, that would say, Pastor Mark, those are wimpy, faithless prayers. You don't have enough faith to just say, God, raise Aunt Nancy out of that hospital bed. And if you just had enough faith, she would rise up. And there are people who absolutely believe that. I disagree. I don't see it that way. 
because of what God's Word says and because of what I have seen in life. But I know where they get this from. They get this from some promises that Jesus makes in the Bible. Matthew 17. There's a little boy that the disciples can't drive the demons out and Jesus could. And they're like, why? The disciples came to Jesus in private and He asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith as small as that little teeny mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to over there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's why they say it. Or, remember the guys who had a paralytic friend and they couldn't get to see Jesus? The men were carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. Jesus was teaching there. They couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up to the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to this guy, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the guy was not a paralytic anymore. Saw their faith. Or how about John 15? When Jesus said in the upper room right before He's going to the cross... He tells us the disciples, you know, you got to hold on to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if we stay really tight, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So what, what do we do with these? They're in the Bible. They're in the New Testament. Well, everybody has to figure out how you fit all these things together, and I would fit them together in two ways. First of all, I want you to notice that every one of these what seem to be blanket promises based on your or my faith quotient or your or my closeness has to do with Jesus talking to His disciples 2,000 years ago in a very specific time. And that those prayers promises aren't repeated again by Paul and Peter and John in any of the same ways. And so that just makes me wonder if maybe there is something different about that day and that, I don't know. I'm not saying there is, but it makes me wonder. And second, I remember that these are not the only examples in the Bible where faith of a person and and the response of God somehow come together. We see all over the Word of God godly men and women who pray and God chooses not to answer them. Job asked the Lord for healing. And God says, no, not now. Jonah asked God to take his life. I'm so angry. Just take my life. And God says, nope, I've got things for you to do. The prophet Habakkuk, he pleads with God, go read the book. It's just like, God, please, would you do something about these people and how evil they are and everything? God says, nope, not now. Then there's the classic example where probably the greatest evangelist of all time, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he asks God for something 
passionately. And God says no. Paul says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that God has given him, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what that was, but something was in his life that he did not like, and he pleaded with God. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in the weakness that I've allowed here. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And you and I all, we know times where godly, Jesus-loving people have even gathered together to pray about things, for God to intervene, and He chooses not to. At least not to in the way that we presented Him with that request. It might be for a loved one. It might be for rain. It might be for stopping a war. Maybe because I'm the, I'm the pastor guy of my family, my brother comes to me maybe ten years ago, and he says, I think I figured something out. Tell me if I'm right. He says, if my son had cancer and I ask 400 people to pray for him and my buddy's son has cancer and he only asks 20 people to pray for him, my son's not 20 times greater chance of having his cancer cured than my buddy's, right? I said, I think you're right. This is not X amount of faith times Z amount of people equals success. There is, there is no mathematical formula like that. God may heal both of them. God may heal one of them. God may heal the one that doesn't have as many praying for Him. Because God has an understanding of what's going on in both of their lives that their parents nor anybody praying does. Paul Ask something that God said, I know from your vantage point that makes sense. And I know you want that gone, but no, I got bigger fish frying here. I am more honored when you can do your ministry with that thorn in the flesh than if I take it away and you don't have to deal with it. And Paul, because he's so mature, that probably wouldn't be me, but Paul says, and therefore, I boast in my thorn in the flesh, and my weakness, because when I'm weak, it just shows how strong God really is. But that wasn't His prayer. At least at the beginning, it wasn't His prayer. See, we, I pull this all together more like the Apostle John does in John chapter 1, excuse me, John, 1 John chapter 5. And he summarizes what I would kind of say is, is the whole faith thing. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked Him about. But we don't know God's will. Typically, we don't know God's timing, typically, but we know He hears us and He always wants the best for us. 
So that's the big picture thing about God's sovereign will and permissive will and how our faith kind of interacts with that. But the Bible does specifically call out what God's looking for as His prayers, you and I, bring our prayers, our requests, to Him. James chapter 5. We see in this passage that God is looking for righteous children to offer up prayers. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Implying that the prayers of an unrighteous man aren't quite as effective and powerful. God's looking for people who are acting and dealing rightly in the way He would want them to. Matthew chapter 6, we see that God's looking for prayers that come from His children that trust Him and the things that He thinks are important. Jesus said, stop, do not worry, saying what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear. The pagans run after all these things and, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. When we have God's viewpoint, God's world view in our life, and what's important and what's not important, Jesus says, bring the important stuff to God. He'll, he'll take care of the little stuff. And then as we said a few weeks ago when we are preaching to the men at Father's Day, God is looking for prayers who are treating those around them the way that He wants them to be treated. We specifically talked about husbands, First Peter 3, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate to live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker physically partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, if you're not doing that, your prayers may be hindered as you're offering them up to God. You're not treating His daughter well. Or maybe... Proverbs 28, if anyone turns a deaf ear to the law and the laws were about how you treated people and how you were fair with people and stuff, even his prayers are detestable to God. But my favorite is Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah's writing in a time when the people of God are just doing their own thing and doing it their own way and all this. And here's what Isaiah says that God thinks and feels about their worship and, and their prayers to Him. Do you think I need any more of your sacrifices, asked the Lord? I do not find any pleasure in the blood of your bulls, lambs, and goats. Stop bringing offerings that don't mean anything to me. I hate your incense. You might spread your hands towards me when you pray, but I will not look at you. You might even offer many prayers, but I will not listen to those prayers. Why? Your hands are covered with the blood of the people you have murdered. Wash your hands. Make yourself clean. Get your evil actions out of my sight. Stop it! Verse 17, learn to do what's right. Treat people fairly. Give hope to those who are beaten down. Cheer them up. Stand up in court for children whose fathers have died. Do the same things for widows. God says when, when you treat people 
in a way that is just nasty. Why would I want to listen? Yeah, you can come in and give your offerings and sing your praise and stuff. I'm not listening. Because your life is showing that you really don't give a rip about me and the way I want it done. And God says, if, if you don't want prayers hindered, live a life that is marked by treating people the way God wants them treated. So there's a lot of passages in God's Word about the importance of prayer. There's quite a few about the effectiveness of prayer and how to pray, and we're going to get to that in these next weeks, but there just isn't a lot that explains how prayer really works. So I'm going to wrap it up for you. This is Pastor Mark's opinion. (laughs) This is how I wrap it all up for me. And you don't have to do the same, but this is how I put it all together. First of all, God tells us to pray. And like we saw last week, there is no way you're going to have anything but a sustaining relationship with God if you're not spending time with Him in prayer. Intimacy. Tapping into His wisdom and power so that we can glorify Him better. But second... Since God knows what we're thinking and feeling and and what's really important to us all the time, for me to go to God and, and be just fake about it doesn't make any sense. Oh Lord, you know, I really don't care what happens to Aunt Nancy today when they do the surgery. God, whether she dies or not, doesn't matter as long as you're glorified. Amen. Oh yeah, like God believes that prayer. That's not how I feel. But, third, at the same time, though I'm honest with God and I tell Him my desires and and, and I'm transparent with Him of of what I see as maybe the best outcome in this situation, third, because I don't know what God wants in any situation necessarily, And because I know He knows best, I'm careful not to tell Him what to do in my prayers. In fact, here's the theological question that I ask myself all the time. Why would a sinful, biased, stupid guy like me go to the sovereign, wise, loving Father of the universe and tell Him what to do that doesn't even make sense to me i mean that would be like going to lebron james wanting your jump shot better and telling lebron what to do to help you with your jump shot or or going to warren buffett if you're in financial struggles and telling him what to do to help you with your financial struggles it doesn't even make sense but instead i take my issues my concerns and my problems, and I lay them at His feet, and I talk to Him about it, and I'm honest with Him, and I ask Him to do what is best. I still tell Him what I want. I'm still honest, but I end with, but God, You're a lot smarter than me, and I know You love me more than I can ever imagine, so would You please do what is best? And I'll be honest with you, that is a hard prayer to offer up, especially when it concerns someone or something that I'm really passionate about. 
But it's a prayer that shows my trust in Him and it becomes easier and easier to do the more and more I trust Him. Just like Jesus was able on the day before He went to the cross to say, Father, would You, would you take this away from Me? That's how, that's how I'm feeling. But not by My will, but only by Your will may it be done. Let's pray. Father God, we're just overwhelmed, first of all, that people like us can boldly walk into Your throne room and talk to You whenever we need to. And then to think that Your Holy Spirit and the Son that is seated at Your right hand are literally praying for us as well is really overwhelming. And we are so grateful. And we thank You that You love us that You want the best for Your children. And we pray that we would be the children that You want us to be. Righteous, caring, treating people the way that You want us to treat them, obeying You, so that our prayers would not be hindered in any way. And Lord, we, we ask that You would help us to pray. This is a difficult thing from our side of heaven. I know you're not confused, but we are a little bit. And I pray that you would help us to pray in a way that you're honored, that we become more intimate with you, we gain trust in you, and ultimately, so that your kingdom is advanced in this world. And we're so thankful that we know that no matter what our situation, no matter how stressed out we are, that there's always someone praying for us and praying in a way that's in accordance with Your will. Would You honor those prayers and bring about Your will in our lives? And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.